heard Ms. Kim say just a few moments ago, we uh, were thrilled to be able to have a baptism of Harper Jean Holly during the 8.30 service on a sunny and windy um, Sunday morning out there. Hope that you'll take the opportunity to reach out to the Holly family and offer them congratulations and welcome to the newest member of our community of faith. And grace to you and peace in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We begin here today where we, where we always begin, with a good and generous God. God is the bountiful giver of gifts, we believe this. God is the one from whom we have all received, as the Apostle Paul says, grace upon grace. The root of all good religion, the bedrock of our faith is simple trust in this God whose giving knows no ending. The hymn text by that same name forms the context of our worship for sure and of our living. God whose giving knows no ending from your rich and endless store. Nature's wonder, Jesus' wisdom, costly cross, grave's shattered door. Today's parable is the story of a generous God pouring out a vast treasure of gifts for those God calls to be stewards, caretakers. One servant gets five talentons, or talentons, which, though translated talents from the English, or in English from that Greek word, does not carry the same meaning as it does for us. A talent in first century Palestine was a large sum of money, the equivalent of 15 years' wages for a common laborer at the time. And with inflation, scholars say that today's money, in today's money, one talent would be anywhere from half a million to a million dollars. And so we see right away the master in the parable is extravagant in his generosity, enormously trusting and welcoming and generous and benevolent. It seems a simple thing to affirm, but it may be the hardest statement of faith to maintain, especially in difficult times, that God is good, that God is generous, that God is love. Several years ago, Caleb and I, my my oldest uh, child, and I attended a celebration of the Second Great Awakening, a religious revival that swept through mainly the southern part of this young country in the early 19th century. We went to this celebration and milled about with people dressed up in their best 19th century attire, men in tall black hats, women in petticoats. There were booths that showed how they made lye soap and churned butter and sewed on a loom. We even had to earn a token to present later in the day at the door of a makeshift chapel in order to take communion. As the hot summer day began to wind down, we took our places around an old wagon for a time of worship, billed as an authentic service from 1804 complete with an actor who preached verbatim 
um, a famous sermon from one of the preachers of that day. And to call us to worship, the liturgist fired a six-shooter into the air. And this did indeed call us to worship. It got the attention of everyone sitting out there on the grounds, and it was only the beginning. But my son was already uh, leaning into me, and I could detect shaking. And the preacher began, came out and began to pace and yell, veins popping out on his forehead as he told us, of the fires of hell and how they waited for each one of us, each and every one of us. There would be no escaping God's fiery wrath, he bellowed, unless you give your life to Jesus this very minute. A couple of times he wandered around the grounds and stood right over us, and Caleb leaned back even further, the preacher's shrill voice pounding away. When the preacher was safely far enough away, Caleb leaned to me, turned to me and said, why is that man so angry? And I said, oh, he's not really angry. He's just acting. This, that's the way it was back then, but it's not that way really anymore. And Caleb responded with wisdom beyond his years. Well, you better tell those people behind us. I don't think they realize that he's acting. And he was right. Behind us was a group who were clearly agreeing with everything the acting preacher was saying. They were shouting amen. They were raising their hands. They were urging this hellfire preacher on in his mission. As if for them it was 1804 all over again. And I left that place with mixed feelings. Hoping that my son at that very young and impressionable age would not forever associate God, even in part, with the fearsome spectacle he witnessed that day, that he would not fearfully bury God's generous gifts in the ground of his own terror. I was afraid, said the one-talent man. I was afraid, so I hid your money in the ground. Why was he afraid? He's good enough to tell us. I knew you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. He knew. He just knew that the master was not generous and not trusting. Never mind that the master had entrusted him with more money than he could hope to make in years of labor his image of the master conjured up in his own mind results in a cramped view of his own vocation. He has misjudged his gifts. He has misread the situation badly. And the result is a life squandered in fear. Now the parable is told as all parables are told, not to teach things like sheep farming or horticulture or economics but about God and God's kingdom. And this parable hones in on a truth that lies at the heart of all truth, that God is good and God is generous and God is loving. As the psalmist says, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. 
John Calvin, our father in the faith, writes at the very beginning of the Institutes of the Christian Religion these words. Nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. He goes on to write, for quite clearly, the mighty gifts with which we are endowed are hardly from ourselves. Indeed, our very being is nothing but subsistence in the one God. And so, if you know that the Master is good and generous and loving, if this good news has penetrated your soul, what will you do with this gift? That is the question of the parable. Matthew writes not so much to individuals as to the church, a church in his own time still waiting for the coming of Christ, filled with anxiety, still waiting for the establishment of the kingdom of God. Jesus seems to say to that church, we have, you have received the gift of the gospel now. How will you invest this good news? How should we live as a community of faith? And the parable extols a fearless, risk-taking faith, one that willingly invests into the world what we have received. And in a world filled with threats, perceived and real, this kind of fearlessness certainly does not come naturally. But Matthew's gospel proclaims that if we have joyfully perceived our God as good and generous and loving, if we are motivated not by a hidden fear of God, but by an overflowing love for God, then we can join with God in the generous pouring out of gifts, even at the risk of failure. And I'm grateful to be part of a community of faith that has such risk-taking at the heart of its identity, such risk-taking trust at the heart of its identity. This congregation throughout its history has tried in both good times and bad to consistently proclaim a gospel of God's love and mercy and generosity, answering the call again and again to go into the world boldly, investing this treasure we have received, this giving that knows no ending. When we were in downtown Franklin in a growing community in the late 80s and early 90s and increasingly landlocked, the leaders of this church boldly responded to God's grace and purchased the property on which this building sits. The first thing besides a house across the street that was located in this area at a time of uncertainty later on in the wider church, when the future was not clear, this church embarked on a capital campaign that continues to bear much fruit, including the purchase and installation of a new organ right in the middle of a pandemic. And in these days of crisis, where the trouble is real, you have opened your hands wide in sharing 
You have been generous in giving. You have been active in worship, study, and service. You have been embracing new and sometimes even uncomfortable ways